0: Netter, just talking to teachers, talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing
1: professional development, at PNA1977 on Twitter.
0: Netter, just talking to teachers.
1: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the newly improved Nailers Natter. Newly improved, hopefully, in the quality of the audio of the interviews with the guests. And thank you very much to Ollie Lovell for the suggestion of the software being used here. So this week I'm thrilled to be interviewing Iggy Rhodes from the EEF on the new EEF guidance report, Improving Behaviour in Schools. So this week we'll be talking about Iggy's role within the publication of that guidance report. I'll be asking her a little bit more about the EEF and the What Works Network. I'll be asking her about the process of writing a report like this and what schools can do with the recommendations. We'll be talking through each of the six recommendations and looking at proactive strategies to improve behaviour. We'll also be looking at the importance of consistency in the approach and the two pathways to effectiveness. So, very much looking forward to this interview, and without further ado, here it is, Interviews with the EF's, Iggy Rhodes. Hello, Iggy, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, thanks for having me.
1: No problem at all. Right, um, I'm not sure if you've listened to it before, but we do like a little bit of a journey question, so I've been calling it the X Factor question, so do you mind if we start with that? Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> so it's just a little bit for listeners about your sort of journey to this point and what your current role is.
0: Okay, so I uh, pretty much started off in um, the classroom. So I was a, a teaching assistant and then a teacher, English teacher, uh, in secondary schools in London. Um, saw quite a bit of innovative stuff there and I guess was quite influenced by some of the better Uh, (laughs) inspiring changes that I saw and also some of the worst things that I got made to do and I was training around the time that everyone was with being taught to you know um, teach to learning styles things like that Uh, so that there was quite a bit of pointless stuff too um, but uh, a lot of good stuff Um, and then since then I've been trying to work in the area of helping teachers and school leaders to use uh, each other's expertise and expertise out there more broadly. So I worked for a national school network called Whole Education, getting uh, schools to share with each other there. And now at the Education Endowment Foundation, I'm a programme manager. So we're, we're setting up uh, trials to generate new evidence to support teachers and school leaders to make good decisions. And, um, well, this is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Is We, we also... Um, put together uh, all the evidence that we can find um, on particular topics that are really pertinent to teachers and school leaders and that's where this behaviour guidance has has come from. So I've just finished co-authoring that with Michelle Long, the Principal at Dixon's Music Primary and um, we're we're hoping that, that we'll be able to work with you guys to turn that into some training.
1: Brilliant, brilliant, and uh, of course we had a really successful uh, couple of launches. So I know that you delivered one in Blackpool to over hundred and fifty people, and we did another little one with uh, about thirty people over in Accrington as well. So lots and lots of interest in this report so far.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, great. So, what we
1: want to hear. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. So in terms of, this um, for listeners, what's, what's the process of going about writing a report like improving behaviour in schools?
0: Yeah so we we usually there's some evidence around already so we we started off by doing a bit of a desk study seeing uh, where the topics were um, that people uh, people seemed to be asking about where there was already some evidence and um, where there seemed to be gaps and and visiting schools so again asking those questions what you know what what evidence do you use and uh, what what evidence would you like to see Uh, After that, we appointed um, a a panel of experts, so they were some academics and some school leaders in primary, secondary and special contexts, and and they kind of set us off in a direction of, you know, what what do we want a new review of the evidence to look like? We we always then appoint uh, an academic to to then review the evidence, and we were really lucky that a, a big team of academics applied for this, so... Uh, Dr. Darren Moore led the um, evidence review and he works for the education department in the University of Exeter. But the, the team actually also included um, people from the uh, health, uh, I think it's called the Department of Health and Medicine. So we're looking at behaviour from a different angle. So we're looking at behaviour in the school, but they really had a well-rounded view of, of kind of what's behind behaviour. Uh, and they reviewed reviewed the evidence on frameworks for why children misbehave in schools and then the um, intervention evidence for um, trying to improve behaviour in the classroom and trying to improve behaviour at uh, a whole school level. Uh, So once they've done that, they've done the review, we then um, turned that into some, together with the panel, turned that into some recommendations, um, made it a bit longer, wrote it up and went back to them. (laughs) I guess that's it.
1: Great, great. So, in terms of the six headline recommendations, could you just give us the kind of uh, the broad brush for what those six headlines are um, for the guidance report?
0: Yeah, and I would I would say you know when we when we review the evidence and go back to schools and say this is what the evidence is, the response I guess we're hoping to get is yeah, they're kind of just about what we thought. So hopefully these will resonate and um, with. with Hello, everyone. You are listening to my dad on the podcast called Nailer's Natter. Follow him on Twitter at PNA1977.
1: Hello, Iggy. Um, So we've had a few technical difficulties there, but we're back. So if we can just go through that question again with the... uh, Talk us through the six recommendations or the headlines for those.
0: Okay. yes. So... um We've got we've got six recommendations, and I think it's important to note that four of them are proactive strategies. So four of our recommendations for dealing with behaviour are about supporting good behaviour, basically kind of before um, misbehaviour occurs, really. And so those uh, proactive strategies are um, getting to know pupils, so knowing and understanding pupils. Um, Try and teach, teach learning behaviours to your, your pupils. Engage staff in classroom management training, and also um, you, there are some simple approaches as well. So the first three might all require teach training, but there are also some simple approaches that don't really require intense tra- teach training. So saying, get all of those things in the classroom and uh, throughout the school and hopefully you'll reduce the, the the number of times that you need to deal with misbehaviour or challenging behaviours. We have um, then one uh, reactive strategy uh, in our recommendations. And really that is, you're gonna to need to have a consistent behaviour policy uh, that everyone can follow. And what we're seeing um, we, you might layer on top of that um, is so pupils who are really struggling with their behaviour, so they're exhibiting challenging behaviour, they've got an ingrained problem, it, it, it's happening, um, you know, they maybe getting sent out of lessons quite a bit. We're saying the the strategies that seem to be used in the targeted approach, approaches that we saw in the literature tended to personalise what was happening, so they tended to be Targeted approaches based on the needs of that individual pupil. So, you know, our first strategy is about knowing and understanding the pupils, but we're saying where there is an great
1: behaviour problem,
0: that pupil's going to need uh, some specific support that's dependent on what's causing that, that kind of behaviour, uh, whatever kind of behaviour is being shown, what's causing that behaviour to happen. And then our last the recommendation, uh, which uh, in our diagram we've got sitting under all of them, is, is about consistency. So there are more decisions that school leaders and teachers and other staff in schools will have to make about, about behaviour than there are like really high-quality studies to, to guide those decisions. There are a lot of uh, decisions that um, you know, people in schools are going to need to make a call on. But if that call is made consistently across the school, uh, if it's implemented well, so when you have a new behaviour policy, Everyone behind it. Uh, everyone in the school understands it. You, you're much more likely um, to have something that works and that supports good behaviour um, than if you've got uh, one teacher doing something, teaching assistant in the same classroom doing something else, SLP really not backing up the the members of, of staff that have implemented a policy in the first place. And so, I think consistency really is key to it all.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's a key, a common theme running through a lot of. Uh, ES work, and obviously there's a standalone implementation guide, which obviously you know talks about the importance of consistency across every kind of approach.
0: Yeah, it does, and you're right; it really is important. Um, implementing uh, just a few things and doing it really well, thinking it through, thinking about your timeline is, is you know, in, in a lot of areas going to be way more important than. Uh, kind of picking six best best strategies and, and trying to implement them all at once. But partly because, you know, it might be that you implement something and it turns out it, it's not going to work but if you've implemented four other things at, work, at once, it's really difficult to know if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that is, you know, this implementation stuff is even more important uh, in, in the area of behaviour than it is in, say, maths or literacy where there's actually quite a bit of evidence literature that can point you in the direction of how how you might want to structure
1: your classroom. Absolutely. Right, so we can unpick the uh, guidance report recommendations in a little bit more detail. So if we look at recommendation one, uh, know and understand mm. your pupils and their influences. So obviously you've mentioned there that good relationships matter. But in terms of practical strategies, was there anything in the evidence that that would help teachers or listeners to help them? How could they help kind of get to know the pupils?
0: Yeah, there, was, there, was, there are some... Um, quite simple things that can be done as part of this. And one of them, there were were a few different studies that that talked about um, simple strategies to get to know your pupils. So um, whether you are a primary school um, teacher who's spending um, most of the day with your pupils or you're a secondary school teacher who only gets to see your pupils for a few hours a week, um, the key here is to look for the pupils that it's difficult to have a, a, a rapport with. So, you know, it might be that they are um, engaging in really challenging behaviours, um, but it might be that they're um, quiet and withdrawn, and, and any of those kind of behaviours that are likely to, you know, somehow stop them from learning. So it might be that they're um, not really participating in lessons, um, or it might be that they're not not concentrating on lessons; they're clearly kind of focusing elsewhere. Those are the pupils that you really want to uh, prioritise for getting to know. Um, if if the school can uh, be structured such that every pupil is known by an adult, really, you know, they kind of know a bit about their background, they know a bit about their hobbies, then that's, that's brilliant. And and but if the school can't do that, those are the kids to prioritise. And there are some simple strategies and. One would be uh, for, you know, pick a pupil and for two minutes every day for uh, two school weeks of 10 days. Um, uh, talk to that pupil about, you know, not, not uh, their school work, but just about themselves and just have a, a wider chat that's not specifically about learning. and That can then help with the learning conversations uh, that come later and actually it really helps to get a bit of context on, on that pupil. So if someone in the school can be doing that for each each pupil, and particularly each kind of pupil, where there might be a risk around their behaviour, you know, we can, we can, we'd say that's the best bet, that it's likely that the pupil um, will misbehave, so on average, the pupil will misbehave less. Mm.
1: No, it's really good, really good. So, if moving on to recommendation two, to teach learning behaviours alongside managing misbehaviour, so, um, what what are the learning behaviours that we should focus on? And are, are we is the evidence suggesting teaching learning behaviours for pupils? But is there also any evidence around improving staff's understanding of you know what kind of learning behaviours that students should be exhibiting? So, is it a kind of training for for pupils, for staff, for both? Yeah, good
0: question. So, learning behaviors starts so to just kind of define them. It really, I guess it's sort of. Slightly roundabout definition: A learning behaviour is anything that will will help with learning in terms of pupil's behaviour. So it could be sitting still and paying attention while an instruction is being given. It might be working um, with other people, so you know engaging with teamwork. Um, the, there are different words to describe what might be kind of the same same behaviour and really the terms that you're using in the school aren't really important. A lot of the stuff that's learning behaviours might come under the acronym that your school uses to talk about skills that the pupil's developing, for example. Um, what we'd say is that the time investment, you know, it, it is a time investment to teach learning behaviours, but that time investment is probably um, best spent um, investing in training staff to, to be able to get those messages across really well and get them across as part of um teaching uh, their, their normal teaching so teaching their their subject um rather than necessarily having uh, an hour dedicated to um resilience on its own mm-hmm. um so yeah we're seeing it, it could work well as uh, part of a wider classroom management um program where you're training your teachers or at maximum that you, you train them in especially separately and if you're going to teach learning behaviours to your pupils, if you teach them that and then um, focus on, as we always do, um, in, improving their academic attainment, pupils can really take a lot of ownership over their behaviour themselves.
1: No, definitely. And just looking at the kind of link between recommendation two and recommendation three in terms of training for classroom management, is that focused more towards staff? And, it, you know, is there a particular. A group of staff that this is this is looking at because i mean the, the evidence would maybe suggest that it's not surprisingly teachers in the first five years of their career that may have you know the, the need for more training around classroom management
0: yeah so teachers teachers in their first five years um report um having more problems with behavior and their and, and their classroom climate levels tend to be lower um, there it is averages, and it doesn't necessarily mean that teachers get loads better after the first five years. There's other kind of factors there, but um, where there, where there is a highly disruptive class, um, either because the, the teacher is still getting to grips with um, supporting behaviour, well, it's really complex to get it, uh, get it right, or or because you know they're in a particularly challenging context, mm. we would definitely recommend to invest in classroom management programs. Uh, classroom management programs. So yeah, it might I- include um, supporting pupils with their own learning behaviours, but it, it, a lot of classroom management is about that really subtle stuff that you do in the classroom every day. And, and we know that you you make a hundred decisions a minute as a teacher, and if you were making all of those actively, it'd be incredibly stressful. And and because of that, you know, a lot of classroom management is is habitual, and it, and it really those habits get ingrained really quickly. And because of that we're saying that you know if, if you want to improve classroom management so if you've got a, a classroom climate that, that isn't ideal you know and you really want to optimize that you should invest in classroom management for for at least 20 hours worth of training and over at least two terms. You know it, a lot of um, there were there were a lot of really effective um, studies showing um, big big effects uh, based on classroom management programs especially for the incredible year teacher classroom management program and um, that one was six full days of training over six months. So, it, you know, it's a big investment, but um, it does seem to be able to have an effect if you've if if you got a, a classroom climate that could improve. Mm.
1: No, it's really interesting. Really interesting. So in terms of recommendation four about simple approaches, now um, one that, that I was interested to read about and one that went down very well. Uh, when we led the training last week, was the use of breakfast clubs and the magic breakfast research. Could, so could you just tell listeners a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so the way that people react to this falls into a couple of camps, and one of the um, uh, responses is always, oh, so you gave kids breakfast and they did better. Well, of course they did. <laughs> and uh, there is an element of that. But uh, we, we, uh, we ran a study where we offered... Uh, schools in disadvantaged areas, breakfast clubs, um, we, we asked um, a number to sign up and, and asked half of them to implement it and half of them to not for a year. And I guess the context is that when we run a maths programme that might be giving extra maths to a pupil uh, over you know, a whole year, it, it can be really hard because you know, maths teaching is already quite optimised, we've got really good maths teachers, um, to see an effect bigger than what someone else is doing in another school Um, and, you know, getting uh, an effect of one month's additional progress over a year um, is actually quite good when you're doing really high quality research. It's hard to find uh, find an effect. What we found was with breakfast clubs. We had an average effect of uh, two months. So when we, at the end of the school year, after offering a breakfast club for a year, um, children in the intervention classes, uh, got an average of two months' progress additional in their year two SATs or their year six SATs. So those are the kids that we measured. And um, the, the the features of breakfast club that uh, we'd expect to see those results are in uh, you know it for schools in disadvantaged areas anyway is um, that they're universal, so they're offered to everyone and they're offered free to everyone, um, and they happen before school. We also the, the breakfast provided was nutritious, and I, I think some of it was quite interesting to find that it, more children ate a nutritious breakfast, but it didn't necessarily seem to be the case that more children ate breakfast. So it wasn't that kids weren't eating at all before the breakfast club was implemented. They might have been having a biscuit on the way out or something like that, but they weren't having uh, necessarily the, the right nutrition. And also, they were getting to school, you know, they've got the breakfast club set up, they're interacting with their peers, and um, with the staff at the school, and what the teachers reported was that the classroom climate was, was better. So it, the pupils that had been into the breakfast club had kind of come in calmer and started the classroom off better. And it, and it had impacts throughout the day. I find it particularly interesting because it was a quarter of the pupils in the study tended to go to the breakfast club. So we're not talking about everyone gets to the club and then everyone improves. We're saying a quarter of the kids get to the club and then everyone improves. So it's really a no-brainer, that one, um, and, and, and it's now part of national policy. So if you've got more than 35% of uh, kids uh, eligible for free school meals in your school, you should definitely get in touch with Magic Breakfast. Otherwise, I think there's Greg's and Callows offering uh, breakfast uh, breakfast clubs that you might be able to get some funding from.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. And one that, um, well, you said that it fell into two camps in terms of the Magic Breakfast, but um, the the one... Headline that seemed to come out on people's first reading of the behaviour guidance report it was this idea of, of greeting pupils at the start of lessons which, you know, people seem to think well, obviously we do that and that seemed to be taken as a, as a headline that would solve all behaviours. Now, that's just one part of many different simple approaches. But I mean, it, that, that can be effective, can't it? What, what other kind of simple approaches apart from the magic breakfast and the greeting at the door did, did the evidence suggest would be, would be useful? It's
0: useful? Well- in the greeting at the door, in context, uh, there there are quite a few programs that include increasing the use of behavior-specific praise that seem to have been effective, and that's part of complex programs, maybe some of the, the classroom management uh, programs, but also part of the clinical programs. And and one of one of these programs was uh, a really small scale, and so you know take it with a pinch of salt, but was about increasing the use of praise aiming for a five to one ratio of um, praising and positive comments to um, critical comments and and this ratio this golden ratio comes from research on healthy marriages long-lasting marriages and apparently that's the ratio you should be using so it's something to consider at home Uh, but um, in the classroom teachers are naturally uh, inclined to spot the things that are happening that shouldn't be happening behavior-wise. And obviously, they shouldn't stop doing that. They absolutely need to spot the things that, that are happening that, that shouldn't be happening uh, because you really need to keep your eye out. But um, I think because of that, and it's a, it's a, you know, a natural behavioral tendency, it can mean that we, we see the negatives and don't see the the positive things that happen all around us and, and pupils may be disincentivised. To, um, away from acting in that positive way that they might naturally have have started acting. So you can end up with classroom climate kind of plummeting. And, um, so there is a really simple thing of doing of just trying to improve, uh, your use of praise. So noticing whether that's just a little non verbal like smile at people who sat up straight straight away, or whether it's, you know, much more public than that. Noticing more positives and, and trying to improve that use of print. But yeah, so that research feeds into all, all of those kind of that five to one ratio. One was really small scale, but lots of other research says improving the use of print, where you have actually spotted <laughs> some good behaviour happening, um, and can have an impact. Um, the positive reasons at the door was a small scale study. It's quite promising. Um, we're definitely interested in um, following that up and doing a a study locally here but um, yeah it's just about being positive that's part of your positive uh, strategies right is is if you are in the doorway greeting greeting pupils as they come in um, you could hopefully um, start the lesson off positively it it just might not work in every context to line pupils up and and get them in it it definitely won't be helpful in, in every context to Spend 10 minutes doing some sort of highly personalized, stylized greeting, but um, just smiling at kids when they come in and saying hello um, is likely to be beneficial.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. So in terms of recommendation five, and this is one that really interests me, and this got a lot of discussion going when we did the, the, the launch event uh, over in East Lancashire, is this idea around using targeted approaches to meet the individual, sorry, meet the needs of individuals in your school. Uh, and the idea mm. that, I mean, the quote at the top of the page about the, the flexible but consistent approach is not a soft option and requires considerable resilience in the adults who are trying to support and teach young people immersed in their own difficulties. And that, that's quite a, a profound quote. So where's the evidence around um more targeted approaches
0: so what we found is that for both classroom level and uh, whole school level when we were looking well when the review team was looking for interventions they um looked for ones that were looking at the whole class of the whole school and ones that were targeted at pupils with particularly challenging behavior and what they found was that where there are approaches targeted for to with challenging behaviour, some level of personalization often occurred in the in the uh, interventions where they found an effect. And and those interventions, you know, this kind of personalisation, it might sound really um complex, but actually there are complex and simple ways of, of um personalising it. And I think that they'll be really familiar to schools. So um on the simple side, you know, behavior reports are quite common and, uh, in primary and secondary settings. And There was some evidence that a behavior report's done well, so deciding on some personalized targets for pupils based on the behavior that, that they're exhibiting, sitting down with pupils, maybe parents, teachers, and, and thinking about how that pupil's going to change their behavior away from doing that. Um, you know, that conversation could be long or short depending on how simple the behaviour is and, um, and and then just checking up on that uh, either a couple of times a day or in each lesson, um, recording it and then having the meeting at the end. So that's really simple, it's done in a lot of schools and actually, you know, the evidence shows that it could be effective. Um, there's also some evidence for doing a, a kind of um, behaviour assessment, um, a formative behaviour assessment and. But there are formal ways of doing that that uh, are quite complex, so you get everyone who's supporting that child in and out of school, you know, it um, could be other agencies that you're working in tandem with. Um, start to understand the reasons behind any behaviour and start to um, make hypotheses, put things in place and have a kind of cycle. But you know that's a, it's a, a set formula but actually I think reflects a lot of what happens in schools around thinking Thinking about about what we might do next and trying a new strategy,
1: reflecting on it, and trying again. Absolutely, absolutely. Now we're getting on to recommendation six, Iggy, which is definitely my favourite. I thought it would be. Yeah, well, I mean, you know my favourite publication of all time is the EEF's Implementation Guide, which, you know, says a lot about me, to be honest, but I do get excited about (laughs) implementation. So consistency is key. Um, and Obviously, it starts with um, a Tom Bennett quote, so a lot of listeners will have will have uh, experienced Tom Bennett's training in terms of um, the, the behaviour and the, the culture of, uh, you know, culture and climate around behaviour. So what does the recommendation talk about in terms of consistency and, and what's the evidence base uh, for that as well?
0: Yeah, so I think the thing that's really important about consistency is, you know, we, we don't even need to look um, too closely um, at a, a kind of high <laughs> Uh, loads of different uh, evidence we we all know from our own experience that that young people uh, and especially teenagers in, in secondary schools but but um, young people in primaries as well have a really keen sense of fairness and so if we set a um a behavior policy and then it's not followed by all staff, we're going to have problems you know in and fair play to to kids for pointing it out if we're if we're making one rule for one and one for another and um, it's not it's not fair to them and they're, they're going to notice. So uh, it's also then going to be really difficult for uh, school staff to implement and um, so that said, we, you know, our recommendation five is all about um being able to um, Target approaches and personalize. and I guess it seems that when we have these targeted um, programs in the literature They were successful and they did involve personalisation, but that personalisation tended to fit on top of the behaviour policy. You know, it isn't something that we'd bother writing down for everyone, but it wasn't anathema to it. So, you know, if you uh, were teaching a maths lesson, you might give some pupils more scaffolding to get to the learning objective, but the learning objective is the same. It's a bit similar, uh, you know, with pupils who have more needs for their behaviour. You might be kind of adding more... Uh, on, but that, that in a way that's still consistent for all pupils where they can see that, you know, that, that's not directly against what um, uh, what what I, I kind of expected when when I read my school rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also, there's kind of quite broad evidence that um, consistency is a problem. And uh, we mentioned a few things in the guidance report. So the, uh, when officers are going to schools they talk about um, different... Um, recommendations they have to improve behaviour and uh, in one of their reports it was clear that the, the biggest way the most commonly recommended way to improve behaviour was to improve consistency um, and teacher voice surveys really suggest that teachers are struggling um, to implement behaviour policies because of what's going on in terms of consistency so 50 percent of primary school teachers say that their behaviour policy is implemented consistently by staff and that's 25% of secondary teachers, so one in four. Um, so it is a problem. It is definitely something where when we look to the profession, it's been uh, reported as a problem, uh, consistency. And, and you know, because you've, I know you've done a lot of work on the implementation guidance, and you, you've worked with lots of schools to try and implement different policies. Implementation is really tricky. That's why we have the whole guidance report on it. Um, and with behaviour I think often we try and solve lots of things at once Um, but if you're making changes to a behaviour policy um, thinking really carefully about it remembering that implementation most of it happens before uh, any action happens um, and not trying to do lots and lots of new things at once I think um, it's just really likely that that will have a bigger effect than if you um, uh, just go all guns blazing as
1: soon as you've had a new idea. Mm, absolutely. And, and that was kind of the approach for better or worse that we took with um, the launches that we did, particularly one in East Lancashire for um, the, the behaviour report. It was almost a combination mm. of let's run through what the evidence says. But then we did a little bit of diagnosis via sort of the implementation guide of what is the particular issue or need around behavior in your individual school how do you know this and then what kind of things could you look at from the evidence base to be able to change on a relatively small scale and then implement properly over time and then you know make further changes as and when you know you, you've implemented one thing so we kind of did a hybrid of of the two a little bit which seemed to go well but I suppose the question I'm coming around to Wiggy, is if if teachers and school leaders are downloading this report. That what what's what would you say is good practice to kind of do with this? Obviously, obviously other than reading it.
0: Um, I think it'd be brilliant to sit down as um, a senior leadership team first, probably, and and look at you know what do we think we're doing right here, mm-hmm. and compare that against information that you might have from staff and our student surveys. Um, it might be something that. You know, if behaviour, you know, there'll be different people reading this and, and where behaviour is a real priority and you actually behaviour is the thing that you're really going to address this year, going through it with a bit of a fine-tooth comb and thinking, are there any of these areas that we don't think that we, we've got right? Um, and, and maybe going back to the evidence on those and, and then looking at some strategies that you could use would be really helpful um, where schools generally are doing quite well in behaviour, checking what, what they've already got against uh, these principles can you know, re- hopefully reassure them about what they're doing right and maybe uh, help to signpost the thing that might be the next, um, the next area of action when it comes back up on the agenda. Um, the implementation part at the end includes a big implementation logic model, so if people are making changes mm-hmm. they can have a look at you know one one way that that, that was done and um, one of the key things about that kind of consistency was that it's much easier to be consistent with things if your your policy is, is collaborative so uh, behaviors are really hard to change as I say they're they're ingrained and um, so whether you know when you're changing pupil behavior you're usually changing your teacher behavior as well and all of that's ingrained Um so it's gonna it's gonna really pay dividends to have everyone come along with you. So it, as many people uh, as possible involved in deciding what that new policy is, or exactly how it's going to be implemented. However much you know um, ownership you can give people of the the policy, um, and if, if they've got that ownership, hopefully they'll they'll be a bit more willing to do the the work that that can often be needed if you want to change uh, behaviour in
1: schools. Absolutely. Okay, Iggy, so I'm just conscious of uh, time because we like to keep this down to commute length is the idea for the podcast. So, you know, you can listen to it on the way into work and the way back. So if we can just finish with one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. So what are the EF looking at next in terms of both what to do with this report and in terms of what new research have you got upcoming that's linked to this report?
0: That's a good question to end on. So we... um... We've already got a a few trials just setting up at the moment, so with activity starting in September. um, For the early years, we have um, Triple P Positive Parenting Programme, which early years practitioners will be trained to deliver. Um, I mentioned Incredible Year's Teacher Classroom Management Programme. We're quite confident that has good behaviour outcomes, but we're testing it against attainment outcomes as well as behaviour outcomes in years one and two, starting from September. And in uh, secondary, we're actually, there's uh, one that doesn't really come up in our behaviour recommendations, but um, there, there's, you know, there's long been in our toolkit and, and uh, an entry on outdoor adventure learning. And we reckon that that will have a big impact on behaviour and that's how it's causing um, an impact on attainment. So we're looking into that and um, trialling that. We'd really like um, some ideas about the, the work we can do, um, both in terms of our, our usual bread and butter stuff are um, randomised controlled trials, and all the ones I mentioned are, are, those, are those, but uh, also we're looking at some some smaller scale uh, um, work, so rather than setting up a big trial, looking at teacher choices that can be made, so we recruit some teachers and, and tell them to do that one thing that they, they said they would do, um, which we wouldn't have to do through our CTs, and also school choices, so uh, we're hoping to look at natural variation in the system where it, it's not that suitable to recruit to a trial. Um, one of the things that we might look at there is inclusion rooms, and uh, best uses of, in- and, of inclusion rooms. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're keen to hear ideas in that area and we're hoping to work with some research schools to turn it into training uh, from September to be li- delivered in January.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, lots there. So in terms of uh, if if people want to find out a little bit more, I've put a link to the guidance report on the podcast intro. Is there anywhere else, Iggy, that you'd like to direct people uh, to find out a little bit more information about any of the things that you've mentioned there?
0: Guidance report is definitely the best place at the moment. Um, You can also add my email address on there if you like. Um, I'm really happy to hear from people, whether it's comments, criticisms or uh, areas for the next steps in terms of our next work.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thanks again for your time, Iggy, today. Really appreciate it. And it's a great report. I know that there's been a lot of interest in it already, and I'm sure that uh, thanks to all the stuff that you're doing, there'll be even more. So thanks again.
0: Great, thanks, Phil. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Fascinating interview there with Iggy and thanks again Iggy for your time. If listeners are interested in more about this guidance report then I'll put links to the EEF's website on the podcast intro but also encourage you to get in touch with your local research school to look at whether they are running launch events or perhaps training around this guidance report. Listeners will be pleased to know that the plugs section is relatively short this week, so just one very simple plug for where we'll be next. So this Thursday and Friday, as people will know, is the Wellington Festival of Education, and I'm fortunate enough to be speaking at that, so if you are there on Friday, I'd greatly appreciate you coming along and listening to me. The talk I'm doing is about creating an evidence-informed school, and I'll also be on the panel for making CPD worthwhile with well, I can't quite believe the quality of this, that I am fit to be in this company, but the quality panel, including David Weston, Amjad Ali, and Mark Enser. So really, really looking forward to that. And hopefully I'll see a few of you there. Until next week, thank you for listening to Nailers Natter. See you next time
0: just talking to teachers
1: talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA
0: 1977 on Twitter netter, just talking to teachers.